You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are back with episode 62. Episode 62, we got a lot going on this episode. Uh, obviously, I am fresh off. I got off the flight to, from Vegas actually yesterday. So we will be going into that. But let's lead off, Tyler, with uh, what, have, what have you done back in Houston this week? Okay, so remember how we were talking about the vlogging and everything? Yeah. So I was, so I played, I think I covered this session last week, but I recorded a whole hour and not one hand happened. Then my phone got low and I was like, how do these vloggers even do this? I mean, now I just have an hour of just nonsense on my phone. So I erased that. And then I go and I start vlogging this session last week, right? And I'm playing... And then I eventually just turned my phone off because I don't know, I feel like I, I ended up on the PLO table and I was felt like I was like, well, I need to just focus on what I'm doing kind of thing. Cause I feel like the vlogging adds an extra distraction at some point. Oh, when I was trying it in Vegas, not this time, but the time before I definitely think it adds a different, like it adds more to it. The distract. Well, I will say this when we're taking notes just for this podcast, it adds a little bit of a distraction and the vlogging, I would say, trying to get good, you know, video of everything is about ten times worse. Oh yeah. Well, my big thing is I want to get a shot of the board when I'm vlogging. It makes it so much easier video editing and note taking. But like, like I was, I was just like, well, I just need to focus on this and try to grind out a win, or at least just. I felt myself getting distract not really um focusing on PLO more focusing on the vlog and I was like well let me let me pause this and I missed all my big hands I had about two <laughs> yeah well well I mean especially like PLO where you're it's not something you're used to I mean you've played it before because every place has a reverse button but you play you've played and looked into uh no limit hold'em a whole lot more so you can just be a little bit more automatic not that you should be playing automatic but you can be a little bit more so with PLO. It being a game you're focusing on now, I can see you don't want to add any other distractions, it seems like, right? Kind of. Uh, yeah, but I guess here's kind of the moral of the session. Um, for all the money, I got it in with the nuts first top set. And I had to redraw to a better straight. I had the nut straight. And... um. It was kind of rough because the guy did the thing where he's like, well, I know you have a straight, but... I have a hand that if I hit, I can double up. So he ships it all in when I have the nuts. And I'm like, well, I mean, I call, I guess. Yeah. I call, yeah. And then the board pairs and his top set turns into top boat. God, that... But, I mean, it seems like PLO, this is just going to be a common theme, right? Because, I mean, pretty much the vast majority of hands I see go down are like this... And I will say, when I was reading over, like, scenarios, you having the nuts of the set, I mean, you're in a pretty good spot. But, let's say he has top set, he has six, he's going to turn three more outs if he doesn't hit it. It's just, the PLO, the edges are so small, but, I mean, you still have a, you're still in for a big pop with a 10, 15% edge. 
I mean, that's the best about the best you can hope for, right? No, absolutely. And then, um, and he was, I mean, it was kind of weird because he was like, at the end of me, like, sorry. And I was like, I mean, you don't have to be, I didn't say you don't have to be sorry. I was like, you know, it doesn't matter. It's fine. You know, I mean, anytime you want to give me that edge and go all in for all the money, I mean, you're going to win sometimes. I mean, it's, it sounded weird when I said it doesn't matter. Like, the money doesn't matter. I mean, I was super sad about the money. <laughs> I mean, don't get that. I mean, it doesn't matter the sense that you won this time. In the long run, it was a good play, right? Yeah, well, that's what that's what your attitude should be. I think as poker players, we're all kind of battling that internal struggle. Because, yeah, you don't want to be results-oriented. And how you're saying it is exactly, exactly how you want to look at it. But it can be tough in that moment. Well, I think people thought I when I said doesn't matter, like the money doesn't matter. I don't want to be like, I'm holding back tears, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it matters so much. But uh, yeah, so I mean, and then the moral story is that I got short stacked. Um, and I got, I had top set or middle set and the guy um, turned the nuts but this pot was about maybe one third the size of the last one. And then on the, he ships it on the turn. I call and, um, the board doesn't pair if you can believe it for me. And I go home with nothing. Yeah. We, I remember we like really got into it. I remember I was playing at the Orleans and took a break to hear this hand. And I think we decided that it was the odds probably should be a fold, but in the long run of things, didn't really. I mean, it, they were close enough that it could be either way. I mean, it wasn't going to be a huge edge one way or the other. The hand with the set, not the one with the nuts. I mean, with the nuts you're calling. Oh, with the nuts, yeah. yeah. I mean, do, do not be folding the nuts. It's <laughs> yeah. uh but uh yeah, we on that one we were kind of like with the pot odds cuz with a set, I mean, you're the way it was played is just kind of how it was going to play, I think, right? 100%. Um and here's something else I kind of realized um, looking at the vlog and just playing more PLO in general. Whenever you do the reverse button, I thought I knew what good PLO hands look like. I mean, now I kind of have a much better grasp on what good starting PLO hands are. Go ahead. I would say it would really help me was, and I just like to say, we can go back to the way we learn kind of differently was reading some of the books. Cause like, I did, like, I'm obviously a subscriber of Crush Live Poker, uh, and I did some of their PLO stuff, but with the videos being, it was, the videos were very confusing to me, because, like, well, this is kind of good, and you could play this, but it's not that great. I mean, like, giving half-ass, you know, comments about this, what this hand is or that, I mean, really confused me. Uh, going back and looking at, like, kind of the books laying out, like, what hands and how they connect. Like, you know, you know they should be connected, but sometimes you don't know how connected. I mean, is a 4-1 gap or good? Or is, I mean, like, when you're kind of getting into it, you can't really go off subtleties. You really need something like, okay, this is good. Uh, it, you know, double suited with one gap or something like that. So I know some of these books really help me versus the videos, that were a little more subjective. What would really help me would be something like having the 
the hand that you start off with, and then the flops that you really crush, showing how many outs you have on this flop, how many outs you have on this flop for that particular hand. That would be helpful. Yeah. Well, that is helpful, but in one of the books does have that. The problem being is there's so many different wraps that it's kind of hard to memorize. Well, I'm not even talking about memorizing. I mean, aside from, you know, flopping the actual nuts. Yeah. What are, like, you know, the nut draws, like, you know, the mega wraps and all that stuff. That would really help me. Like, aside from flopping the stone-cold nuts, right? Right. What would be, like, the next best flop? Really giving you the most outs? And then what would be kind of a little bit less from there? What wraps don't you want? Drawing to, like, you know, the bottom end of the straight. I mean, you can kind of figure that out, but... Yeah. You know, kind of looking at dominated uh, hands and stuff like that. I think that would really help. Yeah, that's a uh, well, and that uh, that's something I did learn from some of this stuff is I didn't understand. Like they say, big cards are better in PLO. I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, four cards. You know, they all. You look at the equities; they run pretty close. But I didn't understand like the big cards. It's not that just that they win more, but you're drawing to the bigger straights and the bigger. You know on that so the bigger full houses if you both flop two pair you have a much better chance or if you both flop a wrap but you're you got his dominated it took me a little bit at, at PLO for, I've, I've kind of known it for that for a while now but I know at first I didn't really understand like why you know some hands were a lot better than others it took me a little bit but basically what I learned from last week was when I was on the good side of PLO, I liked it. Now that I'm on the bad side, I hate it, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the big thing, is PLO has so much variance to it. So, uh, that's why I, although I have an interest in it now, I don't always handle variance. Handling variance is not my strong point. So, going <laughs> into a, a game where there's, because I already find, Running it two and three times with no limit. I tell you what, quite a bit of variance already in no limit. I mean, you, like the upswings would be great, but some of the downswings I've had in no limit are just god awful. I can't imagine if that was two times worse than it is. So I have a little bit of a a uh, interest in it, but more to switch things up. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was. That was basically my whole, because um, as you and I both know, there's a lot of, um, we both are picking up a lot of hours at work lately, so didn't get to play as many hours as I wanted, but I played that PLO session, got beat up, went home crying. Well, lucky for us, I played tons of hours. <laughs> this eight days in Vegas, there was a lot of poker. Uh, so, this coming into going to the deal... So I'm getting on my flight. For anybody who doesn't know, like I, I'm always a big advocate of Spirit and Frontier because I fly cheap as crap. Had never had an issue. Had tons of issues just getting on getting the flight. Uh, for the first time, I get on the flight. I'm at the very back of the plane, in the aisle seat. The person across from me has a two-year-old screaming at the top of their lungs. I'm like, oh God, this is not a good side of me running well. 
So uh, eventually that person actually leaves before the flight goes. I think she just, I don't know if she didn't want to be there the entire time with that. Because, I mean, it was loud. I, I had noise-canceling headphones, and it was still super loud because they were right next to me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And they left. And, I, you know, I don't want to see anybody miss their flight. But I was like, well, I mean, it is going to be more peaceful. <laughs> it's uh, So we're flying on the way to Vegas. And I always like flying. I mean, the turbulence on this flight. Like, I am scared of heights. I was like, I mean, they passed up the alcohol. And I'm like, okay. Because I never drink. I've only drank once on the plane because everything's expensive as hell. But the couple next to me ended up, they got a couple drinks. And I mean, I usually just watch a movie and keep to myself. And I, but I did ask them. I was like, "Is it your first time to Vegas?" And they're like, "Yeah." And so I give them some deals, and we started talking. And I mean, it this flight just shaking to no end. <laughs> I was like, "God, is that? Are they coming back around for the drink?" So sure enough, they finally get there, and I'm like, "Yeah, give me whatever alcohol you have, because I will be drinking on this flight. This this dude ain't gonna die sober." <laughs> it's uh, so we find so we get finally get into Vegas, and I you know. Mm, I kind of give them, you know, suggestions and all that. They're on their honeymoon of what to do. So, and they were a really nice couple. So, that was really cool. Uh, come in. Go ahead and get set up. We're actually staying at Bally's, right, where the WSOP is. So, that's really, that was really helpful. So, go and get in the room and all that. And then, me and the friend I was going with go and register for the housewarming event. I heard online that it was just so massive because looking at just all these people talking about it on YouTube and uh, Facebook and everything, there was just tons of people's. Was that pretty accurate? Yeah, there was about, there were over 5,000 in my flight. Oh my God. Yeah. Just in my flight. Uh, it was gigantic. I don't, it wasn't as big as the big 50, but I think it, it might be one of the second most, Biggest tournaments I've ever, uh, ever. I don't know. It was, there was a massive amount of people. And it was a lot like the Big 50. You didn't, like, sit in the cash game with anybody who didn't do the housewarming in Vegas. It was a crap ton. The line was pretty smooth. I mean, it did not, I think we were only registering for maybe 30, 45 minutes. I thought it would be a shit show with it being at Bally's Paris for the first time. And don't get me wrong, there were times where it was a little hectic. Oh, God. Great stories of this housewarming event. Uh, but I'll get into that in a second. I was about to say, focus. Yeah. it's a. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, so they end up, uh, whatchamacallit, we register. And like I say, they were actually doing everything pretty smoothly. I was very impressed with how they handled this transition. Way more fun having the WSOP on the strip. I think it was a great move. I thought, like I say, there were, there are going to be times where it was really bumpy, but as far as the logistics, I thought they did a good job handling it. The lines, I did not, I felt like they were kind of long, but not that bad, and it was done uh, pretty well. So we go there, and I don't know, it's almost become like a tradition. Like I always end up playing at Caesars the first night. It's not the best poker room, but it's, I stay at Caesar's Hotel, so the points does help. Although not a lot from poker, it does help some. 
So I go ahead and knock that out, and uh, we go to Caesars, and I get into a hand, pretty, pretty interesting spot. I have Jack Ten of Hearts, and I raise pre-flop. The flop comes seven eight queen with two hearts. So I have the flush draw and the gutter to the straight draw. Me and Tyler have gone into this a while, like how about whether to call or play these uh more aggressive. I used to play way aggressive on these. Uh, I have backed off a little bit, but I have when I have gigantic draws like this. I tend to go the aggressive route. I see you wanting to say something. Yeah, I would say I think this is one you might have to take in the aggressive route is what I was kind of thinking with this one. Okay, I didn't know if we were going to be on the same line because it was – when it's a flush draw and a gutter, I mean, I think you're – I put – or ace-high flush draws a lot of times where I think my overcard might be good. I still go the aggressive route. It's four ways to the flop. Player donks into me for 50, which is a pretty big bet. So I'm changing my mind. <laughs> I mean, because I know at Caesars, you're playing 1-3 here, and they cap your buying at uh, 300 If you haven't, this is still coming off a $300 stack. I mean, you might not even... I'm only calling here. Oh, really? I chose to go the other route. I mean, you're shipping it then almost, right? I mean... Almost. Uh, I would be shipping... If you're going the other route, I think you have to be shipping it, basically. Probably should have. I will say that. The, w- the way this hand plays out, I think I raise it to 150. And I do think that only leaves me like, it leaves me less than 150 behind. Yeah, I think I think it's either a call or an all-in for me. I don't know if that's right, but I think uh, that's, that's the route I would have gone. Well, I think there's multiple ways that I could have done this. And I think let's we're going to get to the river because I'm going to tell you where I think I kind of maybe messed up. I raised to 150, and he calls. The turn is a blank. He checks. I check. Okay, I like that. I like getting the free card there at least. Yeah. And the river's a blank. I think about betting, but well, I think once he calls that flop re-raise... I think he's just strong enough that I'm not going to get a fold out of him. Do you think it's ever worth down betting here just to get, like, high cards to fold ever? Or something like an under pocket pair maybe? I don't think any, any of those cards ever call the flop. I mean, unless it's exactly, I mean, another flush draw that missed or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, but... uh. I mean, maybe in Texas, but in Vegas, it just this is always a fairly strong hand. The river's a blank, and he comes up with one of the weaker hands. I, I think I would ever put him on is Queen Jack for a top pair with an okay kicker. Mm, well, he was definitely calling that small bet, and um, I wonder if he would have called that flop bet if he would have just gone all in there. Uh. I don't know. I think... So, I was kind of annoyed at myself later. Like, I've gone over a couple ways I could have played this. Because, like, well, if I turn... If I jam that turn, even for left... Even for, like... I forget how much I had behind. Maybe 130. 
I mean, is he calling that with Queen Jack? But later, I'm like, well, if he called the re-raise on the flop with Queen Jack, it's hard to think with him getting better pot odds <laughs> that, I mean, he's not going to. So, I first, I was a little annoyed I didn't bet the turn. Now, looking back, I think it's probably just a good check. The river, when all the draws brick, I don't think I can really bet and get him off anything. I think he calls the queen jack there. I mean, that would be a super tough story to try to sell on the river there. So, I definitely like not betting on that one. When all the draws are missing, you have top pair, you should probably be calling. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, As far as the jam on the flop... I could. I mean, I wasn't really. I was. This was such a strong draw. I wasn't really concerned about getting him off of stuff. Uh, and I mean, I kind of liked having the implied odds if I hit. But, I mean, I think you could definitely. I, I think he might. I think he folds Queen Jack to a jam. So I think that. I think a jam could be kind of interesting there. Well, my own thought was I like the implied odds, which is why I like the call at 50 versus the raise. And then on that one, that's why I was kind of thinking if I'm raising off of $300 stack and I'm raising it to 150 it's kind of feel committed anyway, right? And I'm sure you had a little bit less than 300 because you had to call something pre-flop. And I'm sure you were playing maybe a hand or two before. So that was kind of my thought on it. Yeah, I just, like, I don't know. I like, well... My whole thought is putting pressure on exactly a hand like this, Queen Jack. Because this is just... I, I, I mean, granted, this is a good call in this exact moment. But against my range, this is a horrible call. True. Because, I mean, I'm never... I have no value hands that you're ever ahead of when I re-raise That's here. Say, right, you have all the better queens, for sure, and over pairs. Exactly. Oh, better queens, over pairs, sets. In uh, the draws when you're calling, you're not... I mean, he was basically 50-50 here. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so when you're... I'm forcing him to call a 50-50 spot. And, I mean, that's his best possible scenario. And everything else, he's basically drawing damn near dead to. It's a... Uh, I don't know. I, I think this was a bad call for this player that just worked out well. Yeah, um, like I said, for me, this was probably either a call or an all-in. But, I mean, it is what it is at this point, right? Nothing we're going to do about it now. Yeah, I think both could be. I I, I definitely... Do you think the call just because it was a... uh... The bigger, the bigger bet size on the flop? Is I that think, your reasoning? Yeah, I think the problem is your stack-to-pot ratio gets really weird here at such short stack. That's fair. I mean, that that's that's my only concern. If he bets like 25 and you make it like 75 or 80, I don't mind it as much. But I just think you put yourself in a weird spot here. Well, it definitely puts you in a weird spot for barreling as far as it goes. For sure. Because, I mean, like... You lose a ton of fold equity whenever you're betting, what, less than half pot. Cause, yeah, because if you're both deeper stacked, I mean, you can bet pretty hard on this turn. I think he does have to fold. Oh, no, if you're deeper stacked, I don't mind the race to 150. I don't mind you betting 250, then popping it to 500 on the river, like 600. Yeah. Uh, but like I say, I, the more I thought about it, I think you could play this either way. I don't mind the way I played it either. Because, like I say, when he's calling this hand, 
he's just behind me so much, and I have such good odds here. I do like the give up though when played this way. It's not. I don't think that's how I would have played it, but I do like uh, how it was played after the. Once you do what you did on the flop, I like how it was played afterward. I think it was a good hand to give up on. Yeah, uh, I do agree there because I originally thought, well, I should be barreling the turn when he has his hand. But later, I was like, well, <laughs> no. why? I mean, what? Yeah, I, was... I mean, if he is calling a re-raise on the flop, that's pretty strong. He's not going to just give up on the turn for a, that size bet. Exactly. Exactly. Not for that size bet. Yeah. I mean, when you have less than half pot size bet, he's probably going to call. So Yeah. So, uh, so after that, uh, I was playing. Me, uh, my friend Scott, and Ray were all in the same room. Well, I see Ray go over to Scott's table. Is this at Caesars? Same this is session? At Caesars, yeah. Okay, same session? The same session. Okay. Uh, I asked for a table change and head over there. Like we always say, though, playing with two people you know is kind of weird, right? Like, it's one thing if, like, it's you and one of your friends. You guys can kind of maybe not step on each other's toes as much. Yeah. The, the chance of you clashing is way less. But when you add that third person, it seems like someone's going to clash. Uh, it does. I mean, and uh, but this was, you know, it was one the first night in Vegas and looking just to kind of have a good time with people you knew and everything and hopefully to get in a decent hand with somebody you don't. Uh, for the rest of this session, I end up basically the, I have ace 10, I flop a 10, 10 high flop and end up with Scott, who I think ended up with pocket jacks and I folded to him on like the turn or river uh, and he showed and. That was pretty much it. I ended up losing 437 on this session because I lost the original. I get, yeah, I was in there for 300 because that's our max at 1 3. Uh, and then like 130 at, at that other table. So it was not the best way to start out the, the session, especially with such a huge, what could have been a huge session if I hit that 50 50 draw. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you're just one draw away from. I mean, the same thing is true. I mean, if you hit that draw and you go all in, he's—I don't think he's folding. I mean, also with those prices, so or pot yeah. odds, not prices, but yeah, the pot odds. So, I mean, I think you get a double up there if you hit your draw there. Yeah, well, especially the gutter, right? Because I mean, he's definitely not folding to when the flush misses, right? So, yeah, it's a. And he had queen jack of jack ten, so the nine. And he's he's got to be thinking he's you know holding some outs out of that gutter, uh, out of that straight draw too. Yeah, I mean it was that that missed draw just really. Yeah, that was a tough one to take for your first day in. I mean you're hoping you're hoping to kind of like come in there, win the first one, and just start on a roll. So that was a tough one to take on that combo draw. And this was before the housewarming. This is before the housewarming, so we uh, so I'll end up. So this is kind of a uh, tough one here. I don't like the way we planned this trip. The housewarming is at ten a.m. God, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, because you know the time is uh, you you lose two hours, right? So it's really like you being up at eight. Yeah, it's a. Uh, well, you know, you think you gain two hours, right? 
I thought you were back, right? Because when I had the meeting at five, you were there at three. Oh yeah. Okay, I got you. So you're losing your sleep. Yeah. So when I go there, or yeah, you gain time, but you're losing sleep is more my thing. Because you and I up at eight in the morning to play poker, recipe for disaster for people who work the overnight. Yeah. So we get there, and this this is just so poorly planned. Like this trip, there's just a lot of things we could have done better. Having that tournament at 10 a.m. on that night, and anybody who doesn't know, I have a horrid case of insomnia. So it's not like I can go to bed. I mean, in Vegas, it does not help insomnia. <laughs> so you go into Vegas, you go that first night, you're not gonna, you're not just gonna, you know, chill at the chill at your room the first night you're in Vegas. Uh, so we get back later than I, we should have. And end up going to bed. And I get very little sleep before this housewarming at 10 a.m. So, did not love that it started at 10 in the morning. (laughs) After hearing this, not love and I bought 10%. (laughs) Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, So, but it was 50,000 chips. It was a really good structure tournament. It was, you start out with a ton of chips. And so, I go there that day, that next day. And I... Just true, a horrible table. Like, a ton of Europeans. Uh, you can tell a lot of, like, GTO-type study. I mean, you have the frequent three-betting, frequent, like, small bet sizes. I was later, after some of them got knocked out, wondering, like, how much of it looked like it was GTO versus what it was. Because the way they were talking, it looked it. But, I mean, I don't know. Calling every... Four bet with Ace Five suited can't be a can't, can't be GTO. I mean, they I, they were kind of like it, a lot of a lot of it. I thought was kind of out to lunch, but they were everybody was fairly aware of what was going on and what was happening. So I just spent the first you know four or five hours of this tournament really card dead. What's like we said at the beginning of a tournament is when you want to be card dead, not when the blinds have gone up and you need to go all in. So. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's very true. Uh, Two people get into it, so they have to call the floor five hands into the tournament. Uh, Five hands? What could even happen in five hands? uh, The the, uh, dealers who were so rough. (laughs) I mean, I'm not talking about not being able to control the table. I'm talking about not being able to understand which pots were won by who. Starting out dealing like at different areas, not not uh, in the small blind. Uh, I mean, it was rough. You could tell a lot of these people were brand new to dealing and had never played poker before. Oh man, that yeah, that sounds rough. But oh. I mean, I guess they probably need a lot of people. But oh, you want to hear rough? So they they you know how they chip up during the breaks. On one table, one of the dealers collected all the 500 chips to uh, to chip up. She took all the 500 chips out of everybody's stack. Didn't know who had how many. Yep, yeah. just took them out of the stacks without actually giving the, the chips there and just combined them all together. Pretty rough. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. You want to hear even something worse? They tell one dealer to take the three, six, seven seat cards out of the deck. They didn't set, specify a seat card. The dealer took all the threes, all the sixes, 
all the sevens out of the, out of the deck, and they played that way for an hour. What? <laughs> Did the players know? Uh, they didn't realize it until one mentions like the pile of cards over there, and it's like, what are those cards? And they're like, they're all the threes, the six, and the sevens. They told me to take them out of the deck. I mean, at this point, I'm <laughs> losing my mind. <laughs> I mean, one, as a player, how do you not see those cards immediately? I mean, yeah, that's very true. I mean, how 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 does that not ring something? I mean, maybe they thought it was another deck. Maybe she, like, formed it like it was a de- another deck or something. I don't know. But, I mean, you want to talk about, like I say, what was... And I understand, like the WSOP, you all of a sudden need a ton of dealers at one time that, you know, don't really, you know, you, that you don't need hired all the time. So I understand it's got to be rough to get that many people hire that many that quickly. But, I mean, <laughs> some of them were really good, but some of them, I mean, it was rough. God, what, what happened after that? Uh... I don't know. I, this was not at my table. I don't know I mean, what. I, I would hope it's not at your table. I would hope you could figure this out. <laughs> uh, well, and now, like, I had, like, actually, like, one guy was a dealer who was at my table who dealt, like, has house games at your So he was, he was catching them left and right. And on his side, he was very polite about it. But I was glad to have him there because he was catching things that even I missed here and there. Uh but we go through this tournament and go through the break. I'm basically just sitting the entire time with what I have. I, I'm getting catching no cards. I'm not losing any chips, not gaining any chips. Uh we go through we finally we go through one like one break, then there's a longer break where they're chipping up. It's like a forty minute. Well, two hours later we have the dinner break. Uh at this point. I come back, and I think I have enough chips, but when I come back, I'm fairly... Sh- I'm not very short. I'm like 13, 14 blinds. I mean, you're definitely in the range we need to start thinking about making a move. Yeah, it's... Uh, so, and I, we come back, and there was, I think, 5,700 entries. No, because we said 55. I think it was like 5,400 entries. Uh, and we come back, and I was like, there's got to be a lot of people knocked out. Well, we come back, there's still almost 3,000 people in this tournament. I'm Dang. like, man, it's uh so I'm like, well, we're really gonna have to run make a run to, you know, get get something going. This could be considered a punt. Clothing's <laughs> <laughs> out of focus. Play good poker. All right, here's what I did though. And I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like at this point I'm pretty tired too. I mean, I did not sleep much. We're now past dinner break. Uh come back and Close, like, there's all in blind <laughs> first hand. So there's small black, big blind. The under the gun limp calls. Then somebody else limp calls. I have a six of hearts. I'm like, well, I go over the top jam here. I, th- I don't think I was at 13 blinds anymore. I think I was probably close to like 10 or 11. I'm like, well, if I jam and get this through... I've got, you know, quite a few. I'll probably have like make like thirty percent on my money here, and nobody can have something really strong with you know just limping. So I go ahead and jam this through, 
not in a great position. There are people behind me, but they all fold, to my credit. Small blind, big blind folds. And the under the gun folds. Oh. And I'm like, well, that's great, because, I mean, the other guy's a squeeze. He can never have anything strong. Uh, he limped ace king, and he snap calls. So, I guess just tr- trying to trap, and I just fell right into the trap. Uh, and, of course, you know, no improvement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> what he needed stupor improvement. Yeah, I mean, I need a six <laughs> very badly. Or running, running hearts. Uh, and I'm out. So, that was, I mean, the I tournament went well. I mean, it was, you know, it was, I mean, you're hoping to run better, uh, you know, outlasted a lot of people and made a you know one bad move. That's kind of how tournaments go sometimes. I don't. I mean, I guess by all means, not a tournament player, so might show you that here. I don't. I didn't mind that move as much. I mean, whenever you're down to ten, eleven blinds, I think if I'm in better position, like I'm not sure I should be doing it because I was still in fairly early position. I don't think I should be doing it there. I think if I'm on the button, automatic on the button, right? Then. I don't think it's a pun, at least. I mean, which, the, it's the same result. Oh, but no, But there's yeah. a lot of people that could have called me from, you know, behind me, too. Uh, Definitely didn't expect it to go out how it did, though. Did not expect the guy who called a limp to have ace-king. Yeah, I mean, he's got to know that some people are short-stacked and, you know, can kind of trap there. But it seems like you're wanting to get more value. I mean, if I just fall, yeah, I don't know. That it, like I say, it really got me. I don't know if it's a bad play just gone right, or if it's a really good play. In which I mean, he seemed like a good player, so I guess I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But the WSOP housewarming out in for five hundred, out for zero. Uh, but that's how tournaments go. I mean, at least ninety something percent of the time they're going to go that way. Yeah, I mean, it's especially these massive fields, right? So. Uh, yeah, it's very hard to get through <laughs> that many players. So I thought overall it was a really good structured tournament. I would suggest I would have suggested it to other people. Fifty thousand chips. You started out very deep, uh, in huge first prize with a lot of entries. That was a good experience. I mean, the the good thing about the tournaments is even when I bust out, it always ends up being like a really interesting, good experience. I wish I wouldn't have planned it this way though i wish i wouldn't have planned it so early in the trip to where it was the night right after the, i got into vegas uh, i definitely really wish i would have been there a little a few days to get adjusted before that tournament being such an early start time for me absolutely um i mean i don't know like you like we said that's just kind of how tournaments are gonna go uh, at some point you have to make a move at some point I mean, playing at 8 in the morning our time is, would be just brutal for me, so. <laughs> yeah, working yeah, working nights and, like like I say, kind of having insomnia issues, being up kind of later because it's your first night in Vegas. I think that's what I took from this tournament more than anything else was just the factors that aren't related to the tournament being having such a huge effect. Because I do feel like if I'm not as tired, I might make that fold. You know, just everything kind of weighs on you harder when you're super tired. I mean, I'm sure there was uh, hands earlier, too, that you would have might have played differently or maybe didn't play perfect, right? So, Yeah, I mean, there weren't that many because, like I say, I was just very card dead. It was usually, like, big hands 
where I was, you know, kind of raised. Like, I was getting insane amounts of respect. I mean, every time I raised, I took down the blinds. I mean, that was kind of interesting. Very far from a cash game where I raise and I almost three bet every time. <laughs> uh, so I was raising and getting a lot of blinds, and that's how I did last as long as I did. But I'm going to say, it's a, uh, it was a really good experience. Glad to do a WSOP event. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, when would, uh, where did you go after that? Or did you just pack it in and then you played the next day? I packed it in and played the next day. I was so damn tired that I was, you know, I did not want to be at a poker table at that point. Uh, the next night, I end up at MGM at one of the better tables since I've been there. Uh, let me see. We were, oh, something about MGM that's really cool in Vegas. I did not realize this. I think it's new. It's match the stack in, in Texas Hold'em at, uh, in Texas. Everything in Vegas, except for Golden Nugget, is usually like 100 times the big blind at the lower limits. MGM at 1-2, it's match the stack. Well, that's really cool. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool thing about MGM. So if you go there, that's a really cool deal. <laughs> so I bought him for 200 not far off. <laughs> the trip is not trip has at this point is not going that great. I don't remember. I bought in for four hundred at this table. Mm, maybe three hundred. I think I added on for a hundred. I was about to say four hundred seemed like a lot for you to be buying in at a one-two game. Yeah, I think it was. I was in for three hundred, and I I added on. Uh, immediately get get uh hit my flush draw and get killed by a bigger flush. So flush over flush the first hand. Uh, it was like in the first like orbit maybe orbit probably. Yeah. And from there on, nothing really happened. I kind of just held held a serve at that point. Didn't go up. Didn't go down. Uh, and it was a good table, but it kind of whittled down. And this guy who comes in just, I usually wear headphones when people who are kind of annoying talk to me. But it's kind of hard when they're directly talking to you. Well, especially if it's like you and him going back and forth and he's not really talking to other people. Yeah. And he was a little bit, but he was definitely like angling the conversation. I mean, it was, I just don't know how much cocaine there is in Vegas, but there's way too much. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was not a bad guy. He was just one of those with all these crazy store gambling stories and they just, you know when it's so it's fictional, like it like is like oh I won like forty fifty thousand dollars and all this, and he's like they had to limit me everywhere. I'm like, well, why are you at a fucking one two table? He's like, I got no money. <laughs> I mean, and not only that, but you're at a one two table and you're buying in for eighty dollars over and over again. <laughs> so it was a little dude was getting on my nerves a little bit, so I went ahead and uh, cashed this one out down two sixty two. Mostly it was that flush over flush, and nothing really happened after that. I won a couple, lost a couple, and nothing I mean, big. The flush over flush is definitely going to be a pivotal hand in your session. Yeah, definitely definitely not a great hand, unless it's you getting the flush, unless you have the bigger flush. Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be a key hand, at least. We'll put it that way, whether it's for you or them. Yeah, so it was, uh, that's when I end up going... That you know what I think that was later that night. I think I went and took a nap, and that was actually the, it. Might have been that same day, so it was a. We'll cap that as the first part of the Vegas trip. 
I mean, you played so many sessions. This is probably going to end up being a three or four kind of thing, right? I mean, lots of sessions to cover here. Lots of sessions. So, not great for the not a great start for the Vegas trip. Down <laughs> five hundred in the house warming. Down four thirty seven in Caesars and down two sixty two in MGM. Yeah, not. This, this is, was not the start that I had originally dreamed of. <laughs> But, I mean, the tournament, you know, is kind of like, well, that's you always kind of realize that there's a po- big possibility that one's not going to go your way. Uh, you're not hoping for it, but you realize there's a possibility. And, like I say, it was kind of some bad run. I don't really mind how I played most of these sessions, but I do think it was uh, some run bad going in there. Yeah, well, and like we said, we learned the lesson from the tournament. That, you know, maybe preparation beforehand might be. Yeah, that was. I always try to take away something from my losses, and that, I think that was a big thing for tournaments. Like the preparation and is a big thing. <laughs> yeah, your losses in tournament. I thought you were gonna say just your losses in general. Clint's like the flush over flush. My lesson: don't get flush over flushed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> That's my takeaway. That sucks. You know what? <laughs> Good lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah. So I guess so. Next week, what are we going to cover? Um, we have see. some big sessions coming up, right? We do. I uh, try PLO over over at Aria. I can't wait to hear about that. Just to hear how the PLO is, if it if it is different in Texas, or is it similar, and just how it plays. I mean, are we seeing family pots? That'd be interesting to get into, especially now that I've been playing more PLO. I'll be interested to hear how um, the Vegas PLO is. Yeah, and I definitely have some thoughts on the Vegas PLO versus the uh, Texas PLO. So uh, we'll have that. Uh, another session at Caesars, another one at MGM, and I think the Orleans are ones we'll all cover. And you said you break the skunk, right? Uh, <laughs> there break there the is skunk. a win mixed in there somewhere. That's what I like to hear. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That'll give us all something to look forward to. <laughs> On that note, this will conclude the Texas Poker Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time, and we'll see you next week.